Happy Father's Day. That is the dean of our college for New Life Church, so I'm not sure how we feel about that. Uh, no, he's an awesome, awesome guy. Well, happy Father's Day. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't always feel like I'm getting the dad thing right all the time. Uh, I would say a lot of us as dads, we're, we're kind of hard on ourselves. Uh, I've made plenty of mistakes as a dad. And, and so I thought in order to make us all feel a little bit better about ourselves, I would start off telling you about Boudreaux as a dad. Boudreaux actually, he has some kids. He has a 14-year-old daughter, and uh, this last week, he invited some guys over to watch the, the finals in the NBA, uh, where Canada won. Uh, I don't know what's up with that, but, uh, but as he was there with his friends, he, he, his daughter came around, and he said, sweetheart, would you mind getting us some, some lemonade? Thank you so much, sweetheart. And then she came around a little. Hey, Sugar Plum, would you mind? It's getting a little bit warm in here. Could you turn down the AC? Just cool it down a little bit down in here. A little bit later on. Sweetheart, you're so great. Thank you so much. Would you mind bringing us a, little, a few more snacks? Thank you, sweetheart. You're so, you're so great. Love you, sweetheart. Now she left the room. Tibbet was like, Boudreaux, I'm impressed. I, I didn't know you were this nice to your family. He said, honestly, I forgot her name years ago. <laughs> So you may not be getting it that great as a dad, but it ain't that bad, hopefully. <laughs> Every once in a while, you know, even when we get it wrong, we like to sound confident that we're still getting it right. I don't know if you can relate to that. Like, even when I know I'm wrong, I'm missing it, I still want to try to be confident or at least sound confident. Like, so when a man says it would take way too long to explain, really what he's saying is he doesn't have any idea how it works. So, you know, so don't ask. If, when a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, what he's really saying is there's a really good chance nobody's ever going to see us alive again. That's, that's really what he's saying. But I am thankful for God's grace. And uh, because I understand this, and this is what helps me as a dad. There's only ever been one perfect father, and that's our heavenly father. And I have to lean on him heavily every day. And some of us in this room, we grew up with amazing fathers. Some of us, we've lost our fathers. Uh, some of us, the memory and the pain of our fathers still hurts, still difficult. Uh, some of us had horrible fathers. Some of us had abusive fathers all over the place. I want to ask you to please remember this. We've all messed up. No one's perfect. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, not, not just a few, not just some, not just everybody else, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need the grace of God. Amen? Uh, I do believe this, though. I believe that God is helping us as a church to raise up a generation of fathers that love the Lord, that love his word, that, that are led by his Holy Spirit. And I think that this is so important because when I turn on the news these days, I feel like we have lost our minds. Like we are living in a crazy world. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 15. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers 
For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So the Lord will help you, but he definitely wants to raise up some fathers. And I believe that God is doing that in this church. Amen. And I want to encourage you. Look, a lot of times when it's Mother's Day, it's like it's all encouraging and ooey-gooey. And then a lot of times it's Father's Day. <laughs> and a lot of times, and I've even done this, message on Father's Day, a lot of times like slamming dads, like get your act together. Come on, what's wrong with you? And, and I'm not going to do that today. Today's going to be a very encouraging message. Uh, and we're going to continue in this parable series. And I think that today's message is just so appropriate to celebrating fathers and encouraging fathers in the house. Because today we're going to talk about the prodigal son and how the father responded to the prodigal son. I love this series. I love how it's helping us just understand the word more. These parables, these, these stories that seem simple, but they carry these deep biblical truths. And Jesus helps us because he uses things that are familiar, just like he was doing in, in that time and doing it live, he was using things that were familiar to those people so that they could eventually understand things that weren't that familiar to them. Because if we were honest, most of us don't necessarily understand the structure and doctrine of Romans. Uh, a lot of us probably couldn't explain the themes in the book of Hebrews. But we can understand the simple truths in this parable, the prodigal son. It still relates to us. It's 22 verses long. It's one of the best tales, most known tales ever told. Because it's powerful. It's full of grace. It's full of love. It's wisdom. A lot of practical application. Even 2,000 years later, we can still learn from it. So I want to set this up. Uh, this is me paraphrasing. But basically, the story starts with this younger of two sons coming to his father and saying, Dad, man, you, you've, you've done things right. I mean, you, you've lived well. You've made a lot of great investments. Your IRAs looking really strong. Your portfolios looking strong. You made a lot of great investments. I really appreciate that whole life, life insurance policy. You've really built up a lot of, of money in that. And, and I'm just, I just wanted to come to you and I want to say, I'm ready to get my portion of everything that you're going to give me. And then I'm out of here. That's basically what this younger son does. And the crazy thing is, the dad did it. The dad complied with this. Give me your stuff so I can leave, is essentially what this younger son said. This must have grieved the father. It must have. But he let him go. Why? Because... You can't make someone love you back. You can't compel love legislatively. You, people have to choose to love and give it and receive it freely. But I can imagine that there's a lot of pain with the father watching as his son leaves. The son's like happy, excited to get out on his own, but the father's just like grieved looking at this. There comes a time in your life when you can no longer force your kids to love. They have to make a choice. They have to choose. Uh, some of y'all walk through the pain of that. Some of you might be walking through the pain of that right now, of watching your kids make choices that may be difficult, may not align with God's plan, his purpose, his word. 
But God lets us do those things. But we also have to remember he's longing for us to return. He wants us to come back. So all this is in chapter 15. And this question I ask a lot, even when I was in Bible school and I was studying this more in depth, I was always like, man, why did everybody hate Jesus so much? Like, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees, like, what was it? Because he's just, like, trying to heal them. Like, he's going around doing amazing miracles, trying to help people, and, and still they just, they didn't like him. Well, a lot of the reasons why they hated him and wanted to kill him is because of parables like this, because in this he deconstructs their whole mind, their whole worldview. He totally rips it apart, and he recreates the world as he made it to be. The most important three verses are at the very beginning. And we've actually already talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I did the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Because this is the same chapter. But it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this is so important. Uh, Anybody who grew up in church, y'all remember the song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, he was a... A wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Why? Because the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. <laughs> Why is this so important? Because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And Jesus is publicly declaring that he wants to go and hang out with him. So I built a little case for this when I spoke on the last coin, the last sheet, on why people hated tax collectors so much. But I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson today. So kids, out of all the subjects you're learning in school, history might be one of the most important things. Because if you don't understand history, you don't understand everything that's happened in history, you're really you're going to wind up repeating it. And, and a lot of things, if you don't understand, you're going to repeat some things that you don't want to repeat. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of history. Okay, so why were there tax collectors? Well, the Roman Empire at that time stretched all the way from England to India, over 5,000 miles. This is a pretty vast area to try to control. So how do they control it? With a huge army. But how do they take care of that army? How do they keep the morale strong? How do they pay them? How do they give them everything they need and have good communication? Because the rebellion could break out in one part of that area that they're trying to rule, and it could take them a year to get an army to them. And so they had to have their army spread out over the whole area, which means they had to pay them. They had to pay for them, and that's what happened with the tax collectors. They would go in, write a contract with people, with other Jews, make a contract with them to say, basically, if you'll go around and you'll collect taxes for us, then we'll give you a portion of those taxes. And that's what Zacchaeus was, and that's what a lot of these guys were that were hanging out, listening To Jesus, they're tax collectors. But the Romans, man, they were a brutal people. Uh, They they ruled with intimidation. One of the ways that they would intimidate is anytime they would come into a region or into a city or a town, they would immediately just begin killing people. And a lot of times they would take hundreds, if not thousands, and these aren't necessarily in the scriptures, but this is documented in history, thousands of people and crucify them and put them on crosses on the roads leading up to these cities, up to these villages, just to remind everybody, hey, we're not messing around. So they would intimidate them by killing them. 
They'd rule with a lot of abuse consistently. They, they would rape children and women and kill people and torture them. And it was a really, really bad deal. And they ruled by taxes. And this is one of the most un- cruel, ongoing thing that would happen because the tax collectors would just show up and they would demand this. And there was no way that you could re- get represented or whether or not this was fair or unfair. It was just kind of like an arbitrary number they'd come up with and say, you owe this to us. And by the way, if you don't give it to us, then you're going to be in trouble. We're going to kill you or put you in slavery or whatever it was. So this, is, this was really, really cruel. This is meaner than the Canadians laughing when Kevin Durant got wounded in the NBA Finals. Okay, it was like mean stuff going on here. And this is who the Romans were. And this is who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to these tax collectors these sinners, it also says that there were sinners there, but our context of what sinners are and with the context that people understood at that point is, is different. Because in those days, sinners was more just a class of people. Like us, we think about sinning, we think about things that, that when we go against the word of God or we, we go against a biblical mandate, but then it was anybody who had any kind of, if they were, had a disease or they were deformed anyway, so if they were crippled, or if they, if they had leprosy, certainly prostitutes, adulterers, but it was a classification. At one point, the disciples came to Jesus about a blind man. He said, is it, was it his sin or his, his parents' sin that's created him like this? Because their context was if there was something wrong with someone, it had to be because they were sinners, because they had missed something. Some of you, you still live that way. You just assume if something happens around your life or if you see something happening around someone else's life, you just assume that they must be in sin. Um, but it's not, because Jesus corrected them. He corrected his disciples. He said, actually, it's neither of those things. Sometimes it's just because we're born into a broken world. And we have those types of issues. So those, those are also the people, these, these sinners. But then you had the religious people. And these guys are like the... They felt like they're like the almost perfect people. Anybody ever try, hung out around somebody that thinks they're perfect? Okay, you don't hang out around them very long. You don't want to. Those of you in here that think that you are, I would venture to say you probably don't have very many friends because nobody wants to hang out around people that think that they're perfect. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's who these guys were. And I just want to let you know that the, the, they were better than us. Even if you feel like you are fairly perfect, I promise you, by works, these guys are better than you. They knew the Bible better than you. They prayed more than you. They went to church more than you. Like, in comparison to these guys, you're like JV. You're never even going to be put on the field. Like, you're just, you're never even going to get to play compared to these guys. They actually had the Torah or the Pentateuch memorized. That's the first five books of the Bible. Had it completely memorized, which to me is incredibly impressive because how many of you have ever tried reading the Bible from the very beginning? Okay? I don't know about you, but I get to Leviticus, and I'm like, let's read James. (laughs) Like, let's just move on. Let's get past this. These guys had the first five books memorized. Word for word, and they obeyed it really closely. In fact, they would even add to the rules sometime. 
Like a lot of us, you, you, you might have like a Fitbit or something like that where you're tracking your steps, okay? Well, they set up this rule where they could only take so many steps on the Sabbath and they'd keep up with it, like with their Apple Watch, you know? Like they wouldn't ever go past that certain number of steps because they were that holy. In fact, they would never drag a chair across the ground because it was too similar to plowing. And they didn't want to be accused of working on the Sabbath by dragging a chair across the ground. So these guys, whew. So how good are you, right? Like maybe you're like, oh, I get up every morning at 5 a.m. and read the Holy Scriptures and pray for the nations. Almost every T-shirt I have has the name Jesus on it. You may even have lots of bumper stickers <laughs> to talk about Jesus. Maybe every time that you pray for a meal, it's 22 minutes and you pray for your neighbors and everyone around you in need. And you're still not as good as the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, so I'm, I'm setting all that up because this is the audience. I'm sure there were some Romans hanging out who had lots of gods, most of them. I'm sure you had some prostitutes there. You had tax collectors there. And then you had these super religious people. And now Jesus is telling these stories and specifically gets to the parable. He talks about the prodigal son, and this is who he's speaking to. There's some serious misfits. There's some people that are distorted physically there too. I've, I've actually got to go and pray and minister to people that have leprosy and it's, it's, it's tough. Their faces are disformed. They, they, they've lost ears and noses and fingers and, and I'm sure this is the scene. These, these are the people that are hanging out and this is what I love about it. This is the church. This is the church. Because this audience is represented in this audience on one level or another. And this is the heart of God. In Luke 15, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property up between them. Not long after that, a young son got together all that he had and he set off on a, for a distant country where he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So let's go back to the audience for a second, right? Because I'm sure at this point the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, yeah, preach Jesus. Tell them, Jesus. Now tell them the consequences. Tell them the consequences. I'm sure all the sinners, I'm sure the prostitutes and all the other people are like, man, this thing's ripping me apart. But Jesus goes on. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which, which signified and symbolized authority. Like when you wore the ring, you could tell who you belonged to. Because it was his father's ring. This is who you belong to. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Come on, some steak. Let's do that. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He knew he wasn't dead physically. There's, there's a way worse death than just physical death. He's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Now to me, this father acts a lot more like a granddad than a dad, right? Because this sounds way more like, because like when our, the grandparents around our kids, oh my goodness, they get away with whatever they want. Basically, as a dad, I feel like I've been saying no for 12 years. Like, that, like can I do, no, can I do, no, can I do, but when the grandparents are around, it's always yes to everything. Eat whatever you want. You don't have to eat. You don't even have to eat a real meal. What are you hungry for? Ice cream. Let's have that for dinner. Like whatever you want to have. So there's always this opportunity cost with our kids hanging out with the grandparents, right? Because we're thankful because they're watching the kids, right? But you always know you're going to have to plan at least two weeks of reprogramming <laughs> after you get back because the grandparents screw everything up, right? But to me, this this. It's like for us, like if you want, most of us, if we want to go on vacation, maybe we want to go to Jamaica or seaside somewhere or Hawaii, probably don't want to go to the Dominican Republic right now, but we want to, if we weren't going to go on a vacation, we go to a destination. Vacation for kids is grandparents because they do whatever they want to do. They eat whatever they want to eat. And that's how this father is responding to his son after so much hurt and foolishness and stupidity. And it's not even like with condition. It's not like, yeah, okay, do all this stuff, but then we're, then we're gonna sit down and have a conversation. You need to understand some things. I'm not saying that there's not consequences, but this is the heart of God when it comes to receiving us and loving us. It's without condition. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. The, the brother, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, which just seems like a really dumb method. Like, okay, be mad, don't have steak. That's stupid to me, but... So his father went out and pleaded with him, not rebuked him, not went and slapped him, but just 
pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've slaved for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He's not only alive, he was lost. But now he's found. The point is this. One true revelation of the word from your father will change your life forever. And you can't repent and go home until you have that. Maybe you feel like there's no way that he can give you that kind of grace and that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness. This is Jesus. He's not lying. He's saying, this is the Father heart of God. And I love that the Father will take whatever you bring home. Like whatever you come back with, he's going to take it all. And then he says, now it's my turn. Here's my robe, here's my house, here's my, my ring, my food, my party, my love. Some filet mignon, my band, my music, my grace. I've waited with all of my time, my heart, my, my mind for you. Because I want you. Here's my word, my grace, my patience, my forgiveness, my embrace, my prayers. Because of my love for you. You'll never run back to God without a revelation of this kind of love that he has for you. But he wants you to have this. You know, I, I, <clears throat> we pray for our kids. Cody's way better at it than I am. She's way more faithful with it. Um, she doesn't go ever a night without praying for each one of the kids. Uh, four kids, four individual needs, four individual souls, four individual personalities. She prays. But I'll go and I'll pray sometimes too. And, and here's the thing, like, sometimes it's praying because a friend hurt their feelings. Sometimes it's praying because they don't feel good. Sometimes it's praying because they're struggling in school. Sometimes it's praying because they have bad dreams. But... The most important thing, there, there comes a point when I'm praying where I know that God hears all those prayers, but there comes a point in the prayer where, where it means so much more to me. And that's when I pray, and Father, would you please speak to them even as they sleep? Because I want my kids to be successful. I want them to be healthy. I want them to do well. I don't mind them doing well in sports. I don't mind them doing well in, in baseball or soccer or basketball or football. And I, I want them to, to be successful in relationships with other people. And I don't want them to be boneheads. I want them to have favor. I, I want them to do well in school. I want them to, to gain knowledge and understanding so they can apply that. To, but I'll tell you this. There is nothing more important that I would ever pray for my kids than they would hear from their heavenly father. That is the most important thing. 
And that is why we are in church. And that's why I make sure that my kids are in church. Because out of everything that I would ever ask for them, the only thing that will sustain them, the only thing that can encourage them, the only thing that can find the, give them a true identity that will carry them through every situation and circumstance, through every trial, through every difficulty in life, is when they hear a word from their heavenly Father. And God wants you to have that too. But I also know, <laughs> I pray with passion for it because I've also experienced it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like when, when I just know my heavenly father speaks favor over me. Tells me that he's proud of me. And tells me he's proud of me when I haven't been someone to be proud of. This is the grace of God. This is what I would want to encourage you dads with today. Look, I've screamed at my kids. I've been impatient and mean. I've been cold. I've made a lot of mistakes. But I'm thankful for the grace of God. And I'm thankful that he helps me get back in the game again, to love again, to ask for forgiveness. This grace should always blow your mind. This is the grace of God. This is how God sees you. And I believe that the only way that we're gonna raise up a generation of fathers who fear the Lord, who are led by the Holy Spirit and will never compromise his word is we have to have a current generation of fathers that know without a shadow of a doubt what our Heavenly Father thinks about us. And I want you to know, no matter how much you've messed up, screwed up, how bad of a husband you've been, how bad of a dad you feel like you've been, as soon as you stop, turn, repent, return, while you are a long ways off, your Heavenly Father is running to you. And without condition, He's ready to accept you. And he doesn't just accept you back like, okay, you can come back, bonehead. He comes out and he says, no, I'm going to give you the best of everything that I have. Because I want you to know how much you're loved. But you have to get this. This is what God has for you. I love his grace. It's throughout his word. I think about David. Think about David. Okay, he wasn't a great dad. Like, he blew it. Like, his kids wind up wanting to kill him. Okay, I don't, I don't know how things are going in your household. Okay, but hopefully your kids are not, like, literally trying to kill you, okay? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I've seen a look in their eyes a couple times. He committed adultery, murdered the guy, the husband of the lady, he committed adultery, so maybe you've committed adultery. Maybe you have. Well, you, you probably didn't murder the husband of, or the wife of the person that you committed adultery with, and yet God says, he's a man after my own heart. Look, David didn't give himself that nickname. He's like, hey, I think I'm gonna be known as the man after God's own heart. No, that's what God said about him. That's what God says about him. So dads, husbands in the house, let his grace, his acceptance, 
and his love rests on you. And not just dads. Who are you in the audience? Who are you in the audience? Are you the religious person? Critical, judgmental? Jesus is speaking this grace to you. Maybe you're the person that feels like God can't love you because of the sin that you've committed. I don't know what it might be. God is speaking to you. Maybe you're the Roman soldier that's sitting on the side of the crowd so that they can report back to their commanding officers what's going on so this rebellion doesn't stir up, but they're still listening. And maybe you're here and you're so far away from God you don't even believe in him. But Jesus is speaking to them too. I don't know where you are in the audience, but this is a word for you. God loves you. He's ready for you to repent and return home to to him. And, And when you do, he's ready to forgive. He's ready to love. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to just pray for the dads in this place first. If you're sitting next to your dad, if you're sitting next to a dad, I want you just to reach over. If you're married to him, grab their hand. If you're, if you're, it's your son or your daughter sitting next to you, reach over, put your arm around a dad in this place. Put a hand on their shoulder. I just want to pray this over every dad. I pray that every one of you, that in Jesus' name, by God's grace and by his wisdom, you will lead every one of your kids to a place where they can hear from God. I pray that you will be faithful to his name, that you will be faithful to his church, and that because of that example, generations to come will be faithful too. I pray that every time that you come into this place, that God will speak to you, encourage you, and that every time your kids and your families come into this place, that God will speak to them too, encourage them. I pray that you and your families and your kids will be blessed and they're going in and they're coming out. And Father God, I pray that you would forgive us as dads that have messed up. I pray that every dad that feels like he's just blown it, Even this morning, maybe they feel like they blew it. Even on the way to church, they feel like they blew it. God, I pray that they would have a supernatural revelation of your grace, your love, and forgiveness, that you are a God of second chances. And for the rest of us, Lord, whatever we are in regards to this audience, the sinners, the betrayers, the tax collectors, the religious. We are all the prodigal son. God, I pray that we wouldn't be like the son who stayed home, but didn't get this heart of grace and forgiveness. I pray that we would all have a revelation of who you are. It would change us. If you're here today and you just be honest and, and recognize, man, I just don't, I don't, I don't have this connection. I've never related to God as a good dad, as a good father. I've never, I get it, I get it intellectually that the creator of the universe, this big God, this big, strong, powerful God, but honestly, I've, 
feel like if I ever really got close to him that I would feel unworthy, that I would feel judged, that I would feel like I've messed up way too big. And maybe you're just away from him this morning and, and I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the truth of who he is. And that is this, that as soon as you're ready to stop and repent, to turn away from what you've been doing and to turn towards him, I promise you this, he is waiting on you. And even though you feel like you're a long ways off, he's ready to run to you. And when he runs to you, he's ready to forgive you unconditionally. He's ready to give you the best of who he is. Because the truth is, he already did. He gave you his son. And what his son did is enough. What Jesus did is enough. It's enough to cover any mistake. And it's enough to cover not only the mistakes that you've made, but it's also enough to cover every hurt, every pain, every ounce of abuse, every negative word that has ever been spoken by your dad or by your dad's dad or in any generational curse. Jesus' love is enough. But if you're here today and you're ready to call on him as your father, as your Lord, as your savior, if you're ready to return to him, if you're ready to come back to him, and maybe you've given your life to him before, but you know that you need to come back to him. If you're in that place, nobody looking around, but I just wanna pray with you this morning. If you're away from God and you know that you need him and you're ready just to confess that, put your hand up right now across this room and I wanna, I wanna pray with you this morning. God, thanks bro, thank you. Anybody else? I'm away from him. I need to come back to him. I need Jesus. Anybody else? Yes, got it. Yes, thank you guys. Got it. Thank you. Anybody else? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, buddy. Anybody else? I just need Jesus. I know I'm away from him. I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. Okay. For those few folks that raise your hand, the word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. And so I'm just gonna ask every person in this room just to repeat this simple prayer after me. Out loud, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for raising from the dead for defeating my sin, for defeating death. Thank you for the hope of heaven. I give my life to you. I repent, be my Lord and be my savior. Father God, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. God, I pray that even today, they, they would go public with that decision through water baptism. That today they would declare it to their church family, to their friends, to their family, Lord that they're gonna believe and follow you for the rest of their life. I thank you, Lord, for those decisions that were made. And I also thank you that we are going to be a church that honors dads, that honors the men that you've placed in our lives. And I pray that by your grace, we will raise up a generation of fathers who fear you, God, who are led by your Holy Spirit, who are uncompromising when it comes to your word, 
who believe in the strength and the necessity of the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you that because of that, it's one of the ways we're gonna reach our city and community because we live in a generation and a culture that is desperate for this. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to do it, for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.